Well, I'd like to turn you to that passage we read, uh, to Jonah and to chapters 1 and 2. And uh, a focus in on verse 9, at least the very last statement in verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation comes from the Lord. Now, we started this morning talking about the storms of life. Uh, we all experience them, and we've experienced a great big corporate one over the last couple of years, as uh, the storm of COVID has lingered over our lives. And uh, we asked the question, well, what is God doing in those storms? Whether it's the big one, like COVID, or the more personal things which uh, besiege us, uh, what is the, the purpose of them? Now, you can, of course, answer that at many different levels, and there's many different levels where we can't possibly come and find an answer. But what I zoomed in on this morning was the fact that in all of these storms, uh, God is seeking to awaken us, uh, to awaken us spiritually. Uh, they are like the uh, smoke alarm of the soul, uh, there to stir us, there to move us, there to, to shake us. And, and we started then to think about the whole subject of spiritual awakening. You know, what does it mean uh, to be awakened uh, spiritually? And this morning, as we started to look at the story of Jonah in this first chapter, we followed his journey as uh, he was, uh, first of all, on the run from God and living in his own little virtual reality and uh, really fast asleep spiritually. And then how he was prodded by this storm and by the, the sailors on the ship and, and how he was exposed and, and made to confront his own uh, sin and his own guilt. And then how that led him to this moment of realization uh, where uh, he understood things couldn't go on like this and that he needed uh, to uh, surrender afresh to, to God. Well, uh, there's the first part, if you like, uh, in answer to our question. And what does it mean to be awakened? Well, it means to be awakened to our own need spiritually, our sin spiritually. You know, what our fathers would have called being convicted of sin. But now this evening, um, I want to add something to that that's very, very important to add because there is another side to this awakening. It's crucial that we're awakened to sin. Uh, but there's another awakening, if you like. Uh, and this second awakening is really the subject of the whole book uh, of Jonah. <laughs> In many ways, it's the subject of the whole Bible. And this second awakening is, is that we need to awaken to the reality of God's grace. It's vital that we awaken to our own sin and our own needs, uh, but also we need to awaken uh, to the grace of God. Now, that's what happens to Jonah here in the fish. It's what happens to Nineveh in chapter 3. And then it's a bit more complicated because uh, Jonah's situation is, uh, 
is, is well, you have to go on into it in chapter 3 and 4, and I'm not sure how far we'll get uh, with that this evening. But, but what I do want to do is to talk about uh, this second awakening or the second aspect of the same awakening. So awakening to sin, yes, but now also awakening to grace and the fact that God is good and kind and that, as we put it in our text, salvation comes from the Lord. So, uh, I want to do two things, really. Uh, first of all, I want to point out that this awakening to grace is really vital. And then I want to talk about this awakening to grace at two levels. So, those two things, which are sort of a good way to smuggle in three things, and only have two. So, that's what we're going to do. Okay, so let's start with how vital this is. And I want to stress this because there are some people who seem to awaken to their own sin, but they never get beyond that. So if they were here this morning, they would take all that in and there would be like an amen there and uh, they'd be feeling pretty dreadful about themselves. But maybe somehow at some level they might actually feel virtuous about that. You know, they've understood sin, but they've never quite got beyond it. There are lots of reasons why that might be the case for a person. I mean, some of us have got just that kind of personality. You know, we, we live in the minor key. And so we're very realistic about ourselves and perhaps very negative about ourselves. And we really don't need much encouragement to start feeling sinful and guilty. And it's a personality thing. Or maybe it's not your personality, but you've been through certain life circumstances uh, that have really put you down and uh, you're very low, perhaps, or you're just exhausted. And when you hear someone talk about sin, you, you sort of feel just crushed and burdened and, and you, you go away with, with a sense of, of defeat and, and failure. And that's all you go away with. So there's lots of reasons, and and there could be others that we could mention, why people sometimes never get beyond sin. Um, And and what can happen so easily is we we hear about sin, and it rings true. We acknowledge it, we see it, and we're awakened to that. But then that's as far as we get. We we sort of freeze the moment. And uh, whenever we're thinking about the Bible, whenever we're thinking about church, we're, we're thinking about the fact that we're sinners, and that we're not worthy. And that's where we've got that really crystal clear. But we freeze the moment and we never really get beyond it. Now, you don't need me to tell you that that's not a happy place to be. And you don't need me to tell you it's not a healthy place to be. And uh, you don't need me to tell you, or maybe you do, but that's not where God wants us to be. You know, the Bible has got words and phrases to describe that situation. It talks about being under the law. Uh, It talks about um, the letter that kills. And it's talking about this sense of condemnation and and sort of living our lives as if God is angry with us and we're under the cloud of God's wrath and we're just waiting for the final judgment to fall. So really the point I'm making here is that it's vital that we don't stop in Jonah chapter 1. 
It's vital we don't stop where Jonah was at the end of chapter 1. Eyes wide open uh, in full awareness of his own sinfulness. It's vital that we experience another awakening. That we awaken to the enormity and the freeness and the fullness and the reality and the power of God's grace. Now, I haven't defined grace. I've been using the word, so let me just do that. Uh, The word simply means a gift. And what it's telling us is that God is not uh, simply condemning us. He's seeking to give us a gift. He's seeking to give us life. He's seeking to give us forgiveness. He's seeking to give us his son. He's seeking to give us his spirit. He's seeking to give us hope. He's seeking to give us a future. He's seeking to give us himself with all of the riches uh, that that involves. And and that's what grace means. It, It means that God forgives, that God justifies, that God reconciles, that God adopts, and he does it freely. Uh, It it means God is not our enemy. It means that God is not some angry policeman uh, trying, hovering, ready to get us. He's not our enemy. He is, in the words of Charles Wesley, the lover of our souls. And uh, awakening to grace is, is awakening to that realization. So, so we need Jonah chapter 1. We need to be awakened to our sin. Uh, we need the diagnosis as to what's wrong with our lives. We'll never go to the great physician unless we understand our needs. So we need to face the facts. We need to face the danger that we are in. But the goal is not just to know that you're ill. The goal is to be made well. The goal is to be healed. The goal is to be forgiven. The goal is to be raised again. The goal is to live uh, with all the fullness of God, filling our very lives and our very being. The goal is resurrection. The goal is new creation. Uh, The goal is magnificence. So, this is vital. So, um... Uh, This morning I took you into the depths. And uh, this morning God was emptying us. Now tonight I want to point out that God takes us to the depths that he might raise us to the heights. And he only empties us that he might fill us. Right, so that's the first point. It's vital. Now, so let's come to the second thing. Uh, so this awakening to grace, um, what is it? Let's uh, sort of do something similar to this morning. Let's look at the journey that Jonah goes on and see how he awakens to God's grace. Just as he awakened to his sin this morning, so now this evening, how did he awaken to God's grace? And here there are two levels. First of all, I want to see jo- us to see that there's an awakening to grace that means about realizing God is gracious to me. Not that just God is gracious, but that God is gracious to me. And that's the first level. But then there's a second level, and this is where Jonah really struggles, and that is realizing that God is gracious to the world. 
So let's, let's go and uh, consider these two different levels. And um, if I'm really quick, I'll smuggle in a third point, um, which I didn't tell you about earlier. Okay, so let's look at the, the first of these levels. For God's grace for yourself. Understanding God is gracious to it, to us. Now, that's what starts to happen here in chapter 2. So we read chapter 2. It's the, uh, the record of what Jonah had prayed inside the belly of the fish. And, and what happens there, the big thing that happens there, is he gets it. He gets that God is going to be gracious to him. He gets that God is not going to destroy him, but that God is going to save him. And uh, that's why he comes in the end to that great statement, salvation comes from the Lord. But let's, let's follow the journey. He's in the fish. Not a happy place to be. Um, uh, being buried alive, effectively. Uh, trapped. And we know how the story unfolds, but Jonah doesn't know how the story unfolds. Uh, he's buried alive in this living tomb that is this great fish. And uh, what does the future hold? And so the Jonah we meet in the beginning of chapter 2 is a desperate, desperate man. Listen to him. He says he's in distress in verse 1. He says he's deep in the realm of the dead in verse 1. He says in verse 3, he's been hurled into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, that the currents have swirled about him and that the waves and breakers of God have swept over him. He says in verse 4, I've been banished from your sights. He says in verse 5 that the engulfing waters threatened him, that the deep surrounded him, that the seaweed was wrapped around his head and he was sinking down, verse 6, into the roots of the mountains and the earth beneath was barring him in forever. He says in verse 7 that his life was ebbing away. Now, all of those, that's, that's the language of a desperate, desperate human being who can't see any way out. And I wonder if you've ever been there. Uh, just locked in. Maybe nobody knew. Maybe nobody had a clue. But you've been there. You understand that kind of desperation. You understand that kind of uh, anxiety. But note this now. Note that alongside that strand of distress... There's something else. I was quite selective earlier, wasn't I? I only read the negative bits. Did you notice that? Because as he is talking, everything I said, he said, uh, he, he says other things. There's something amazing here. Uh, so, for example, um, he says in verse 1, In my distress, I emphasize the distress, but look, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Uh, then second half, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Uh, and then verse 4, what an amazing verse this is. His conclusion is, I've been banished from your sight. And then he says an amazing word. He says the word, yet. Yet, I will look again towards your holy temple, he says in verse 4. 
Now, isn't that astonishing? Uh, then verse 6, he's talking about sinking down to the mountains, etc., etc. And then he's got the word halfway through, the word but. Uh, but, or yet, it might be in the SV, I can't remember. But you, O Lord my God, brought me up from the pit. Uh, so verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, what did he do? I remembered you, O Lord. And my prayer, it rose to you. Yeah, that's what prayers do, you know. They rise. And you may be in the depths. You may be barred into the very depths of the earth. You may be in the belly of the great fish. But you pray and that prayer rises. Rises beyond the fish. Rises beyond the bars. Rises beyond the depths. Rises to the heights of glory itself. And that prayer, it rings through the halls of glory itself. You heard me, he says. My prayer rose to you and then verse 8 and 9 amazing statements he talks about those who cling to worthless idols that's what the Ninevites did that's what those sailors were doing on the ship at least at the start of the chapter he says he talks about those who cling to worthless idols and and how they are missing out on the covenant love of God and, and then he he separates himself from all of that and he says, but with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now what's happening there? What's happening there is that there's another awakening. So in the boat, in the storm, he's awakened to sin. But here in the depths, in the belly of the fish, he's awakened to the reality, the power, the nearness, the unstoppability of God's grace. Now, let's uh, stop the history lesson for a minute. Stop the analysis of chapter 2 for a minute. And let's step into our world and into our lives, so let's tune back in uh, to today, to tomorrow. I wonder, have you ever had an awakening like that? That God is for you, and that God is ready to save you, and that God uh, will hear your prayer. So while you're realistic about your sin and the mess, that is all around you and the plights, you can use that word that Jonah uses. You can say, yet. You can say, but. You know, have you got that realization of the grace of God? Well, uh, there's, there's Jonah then in chapter 2. He's awakened to his sin, but that's not all he's awakened to. In the belly of the fish, he's awakened to God's grace towards him now I want to give you a verse and uh, my advice would be that if you are not crystal clear if you don't feel the reality of God's grace towards you as an individual I would say take this verse and make it your prayer it's from Psalm 85 it's verse 7 and this is what it says show us Show us, make it personal, show me your unfailing love, O Lord, 
and grant me your salvation. Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us, grant me your salvation. So as we're talking now about an awakening to grace, and we're seeing Jonah here realizing that God is not going to destroy him in the fish, uh, that God is not going to destroy him, but he's going to save him. As he realizes God is full of grace, therefore, well, uh, there's a prayer for us to pray. We need that. Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. So there's the first level, God's grace for Jonah, for us as an individual. But then the second thing here, second level, uh, and that is uh, an awakening to God's grace for the world. So in chapter 2, Jonah realizes God is gracious to him. But as you read on in the book, and we haven't done that together, so you're going to need to do it later on yourselves, or imagine maybe you've read it before, and so you can remember it. Um, what happens in the rest of the book is that though he realizes God is gracious to him, he struggles to live that out. And so he knows God is gracious to him, but he's struggling uh, to really live that out. So what happens? Well, I'll summarize chapter 3 and 4 very quickly. Uh, he goes to Nineveh. Do you remember that was the commission at the beginning of the book? Uh, he doesn't go. That's why the storm and the big fish and all the rest of it. Uh, he gets spat out onto the dry land at the end of chapter 2. Then chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So off he goes now. Jonah is now obedient. And uh, he heads off to Nineveh. And he gets to Nineveh, which is a massive city. And uh, it's a pagan city. It's actually the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And uh, if we've got time, we'll talk a bit about that in a few minutes. But he goes to this great city of Nineveh, and his job is to proclaim a message. So he heads into the city, and he begins to preach. And he preaches what can only be described as a very inadequate sermon. Uh, Jonah, verse 4, goes a day's journey into the city, and he's proclaiming pure judgment. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the message that he's bringing. Now, there he is. Obedient, preaching this sermon. But then something astonishing happens. Here he is with his really inadequate sermon, but there is an incredible response to it. So don't forget now, he's gone into the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which is a very scary place to be. And he's preached this one-sentence sermon, or maybe he uh, elaborated a little, but he preached this very inadequate sermon. And uh, what's he expecting? Well, clearly he's not expecting very much. I think that's fair comment. Uh, he feels like he's ticking a box. In fact, that's all he wants to do, because he'd still quite like to see Nineveh utterly destroyed. We'll come to that. But, uh, but look at the response. Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. And uh, 
a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And then he issues a proclamation uh, to all the people, and he's saying to them, look, everybody's got to fast, even the animals. Let everyone pray. Uh, Second half of verse 8, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. It's a revival. It's a work of God's Spirit. It is an incredible response to the reluctant prophet. What's Jonah's response? Well, you come into chapter 4 and you find that Jonah's furious. Verse 1, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, while I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. What's he saying? He's saying, well, okay, I did it, but I don't agree, Lord. I knew this would happen. I knew you'd have compassion. I knew you'd have mercy. I knew you'd save these people, and they don't deserve it. What I want to see, Lord, is utter destruction. That's why I didn't want to go in the first place. I hate these people. These people have caused havoc throughout the region. These are the people that have invaded your own nation. These are the people that have destroyed many nations. Uh, Everybody hates them. And what are you going to do? You're going to forgive them. He's furious. He thinks they deserve to be destroyed. Now, there's the story. Hopefully you knew it. Uh, What's happening here? What's happening? Well, there's a huge disconnect happening. There's something dysfunctional in Jonah. He, he, he gets grace for himself. He's worked that out. God's revealed that to him. But somehow, there's this massive blockage, and he can't manage to view the Assyrians with any grace. He, he can't imagine that if God should have mercy on him, then God could have mercy on them. He just doesn't compute, and he doesn't want it to compute. He doesn't want them to receive mercy. Now, now what's going on here? Well, what's going on is this. Jonah has not followed through. He hasn't done the maths. The penny hasn't dropped. He hasn't worked it out. And he still thinks that somehow he's better than these Ninevites. He still thinks that somehow he maybe deserves God's grace. You know, that he's, he's superior to these Ninevites. And they certainly don't deserve God's grace. So they should be destroyed. Now, can you see there's this disconnect going on? You know, he's got a, a biblical, evangelical doctrine of saving grace for himself. But somehow he's not been able to view the world through that lens. And he's still got all the prejudices of his age. 
And all I'm trying to say is that can happen. Can happen to good, saved, evangelical, Christian people. They can understand, they can talk about, they can sing about God's compassion and mercy and love for them. And yet not be gracious towards other people themselves. To still be self-righteous and prejudiced and dismissive of others. And what's needed is a, is a deeper work of grace. And that's a breakthrough that many Christians never make. They get as far as Jonah chapter 2, but then they, they don't actually work it out that that's God's view of the whole world, that actually they're saved by sheer grace and that therefore they should be gracious to the world outside. It's a breakthrough many Christians never make. They're saved, but they've still got the prejudices of their age. So they're saved Yet somehow there's a disconnect. So they're saved, they understand grace, but they're still racist, and they're still sexist, and they still discriminate on the base of social and economic status, and they still feel superior to people who are different from them, and they still look down on other people, and it pollutes the church, and it creates a toxicity within the church, and visitors come in, and they, can, they choke on the fumes. They see the subtext, they hear the subtext, they feel the prides, and they never come back. And who can blame them? Who can blame them? So, you see the journey here. It's, it's an awakening to sin. Then it's an awakening to grace for ourselves, that we're saved by grace, that God is welcoming us and loving us and keeping us. Uh, but it goes beyond that. It goes to the point where we've got a realization that God is gracious even to the Ninevites even to the world around us. And so this deeper work of grace, it, it means our hearts melt to those who are different from us, to those who don't like us. It's, it's a big thing. Now, where are you with that? Where are you with that? Have you still got the, the prejudices of your age, the prejudices of your generation? Do you still have those views, make those comments, racial, sexist, social, economic, con do, you still feel, do you still feel superior to people somewhere out there? You still look down on them? Well, then you've not got it yet. You need to awaken uh, to the grace of God, not just for you as an individual, but you need to awaken to the enormity of the grace of God for the world. And you know what? Realizing that, it can almost be like a second stage in the Christian life, like a deeper work of grace, where you suddenly realize, if he accepted me, then he can accept anyone. And our prejudices melt, and our hearts open, and our arms open, and our resources become available to people who don't deserve it. Our money, our time, our energy, our compassion. And a church turns from being a club here for the benefit of its members into a ministry. 
uh, that is here to serve the community around, that is receiving grace, and that grace is overflowing into the world around. And the, the words change, and the attitudes change, and the subtext changes, and our lives change. So we're talking about spiritual awakening, and we're talking about that being awakening to our sin, but then also awakening to grace, an awakening to grace of God for us as individuals, but also an awakening to grace for the world that melts our hearts to people previously we would have excluded. That's the test of whether we understand the gospel. Does it do that to us? Now, have you got enough energy for five more minutes, which means ten? Okay, well, I'm going to do it anyway, so uh, sit down and relax. Because there's a third thing I think I need to put in here. Um, and that's the question, well, okay, how? Oh, you're talking about the grace of God and, and receiving the grace of God. How? How? Well, it's just as another miracle that God's got to do in your life. Same as conviction of sin. It's another miracle God's got to do. But it's a miracle that happens. And really, our, our big need is to see it. To see the grace of God. So let me finish just a few minutes holding up the reality of the grace of God here in this passage. So you can see it here. Where do we see it? Well, first, see it in Jonah. See it in Jonah. I mean Jonah. Jonah. Would you have bothered? I wouldn't have bothered. Uh, look at Jonah. Jonah is a self-righteous bigot. None of us have got time for them, have we? When you meet a self-righteous bigot who's spitting vile and bile uh, about this person and that person, uh, none of us have got time for one of those. But what we learn in here in this book is that the God of glory has. He's got time for Jonah with all his prejudices, with all his hate, with all his self-righteousness. He's got time for Jonah. You and I, we wouldn't bother, but God bothered. Uh, the, the prophet Jonah walked away, put his fingers in his ears, ran in the opposite direction. What would you do? There he is in the ship. Sink it. I'll find another Jonah. But that's not what God does. He goes after him. Uh, he puts people on that boat. He puts them on a boat with some good people, pagans, but good people who ask him some hard questions and force him to wake up and to face the storm and face the realities and who don't want to throw him overboard. People who chuck their cargo overboard for him. People who try to row to shore for him. He puts good people in his life. And, and then when they eventually reluctantly do throw him overboard, he provides the fish. And the fish is a rescue mission. The fish swallows him, saves him from drowning. And uh, there in the belly of the fish, God deals with him. And by his Holy Spirit, he moves. See, God is striving with this man. He's ready to rescue him from his own hate and prejudice. You know, as the story goes on, as we go on into chapter 4, if we'd have read it, we've seen that God, he grants to Jonah another special interview. Another one-to-one, -one, another toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Almighty. And God reasons with him. 
I mean, why are you bothering, Lord? Squash him. Move on. There's plenty more. But that's not the heart of God. No, there's only one Jonah, says God. That's his attitude. There's only one of you as far as God is concerned. And he loves you and he wants to bring you. So he's going to strive with you and he's going to persevere with you. See the grace of God in Jonah. He wants to rescue him from hate. He wants to rescue him from prejudice. He wants to turn him around. See the grace of God in Jonah. Second place, see the grace of God in Nineveh. Now, we've already said it. Nineveh is a big city. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Why does that matter? Well, the Assyrians were a warrior people. I've dug out a quote. It's off the internet. It's a secular website. Listen to them talking about the Assyrians. The Assyrians created the first great army and the first great empire. That's the Assyrians. They dominated the region. Um, They had a professional army. Everybody else, it was just farmers. You know, ordinary people going to war. The Assyrians had a professional army. Um, How did they manage to conquer everybody? Two things, according to this website. They had superior abilities in siege warfare. That was one. They had technology. They had strategy. So they could demolish walled cities. But the other thing they depended upon, they had a reliance, this website says, on sheer, unadulterated terror. So the Assyrians were famous for hideous, torturous deaths that they inflicted on those who opposed them. They were wicked. And one of the phrases that you often find on the the inscriptions of these Assyrian kings, uh, they say about their conquest, they say, I destroyed, devastated, and burned with fire. So you sort of understand Jonah's prejudice you understand Jonah's spirit you understand why he doesn't want to go to Nineveh but when he goes and when they turn God forgives now what's your reaction to that takes you back a bit doesn't it what about the Taliban what if news started to come that Uh, thousands upon thousands of the Taliban had uh, turned to Christ and uh, were, were saved. There'd be people very upset about that. What about the things they've done? What about the Christians they've killed? What about the other people, the minorities they've persecuted? You can't just say God forgives them and that and that. Well, actually, yes, you can. And that's exactly the sort of God we have. Now, do you see then, you look at the Ninevites and you see the enormity of the grace of God towards us. You see how gracious he is. You know, we've got no idea about the depth of grace in the heart of God. That leads me to the third place we can go and see the grace of God. And that is in the very being of God himself. So Jonah, when he starts to talk about it uh, in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I know what you're like. I didn't want to come to Nineveh. I knew you'd forgive them. Why? I know what you're like. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now that's one of the great famous statements about the being of God in the whole Old Testament. You find it time after time after time. And Jonah knows it and everybody knew it. Every every Israelite knew it. 
And actually, the first time you meet it in the Scriptures, it's when God is revealing His glory. So this, is, this statement about His compassion and mercy and grace, this statement is about the very essence and the outshining of God's glory. It's a huge, huge thing. And it's at the very center of the being of God. Grace is not just what he does. It's what he is. It's what he is. We think he's our enemy. We are so wrong. The world thinks he's our enemy. We are so wrong. And then the last place to see it. Then I'll finish. You see it in Jesus. The man of sorrows. That's what they called him. Whose sorrows would they be? They're not his, are they? Because he didn't have any. He's sinless. He's the son of God. Uh, He didn't need sorrows. He wasn't subject to sorrows. That wasn't his lot in life. So how does he become the man of sorrows? Whose sorrows are they? Well, the astonishing answer of the Bible is that they are our sorrows. That he's come into the world to take them off our shoulders and to make them his very own. Do you think you're a pretty big sinner? I hope so. Because you are. Bigger than you know. (laughs) But you're an amateur compared to the grace of God. You're an amateur compared to the grace of God. There is an immensity and a fullness and a reality. The grace of God is a Niagara. It is a tsunami. It is vast. It is immense. And what we've got to do is open up our lives, every bit of them, open up our lives to the cleansing waters of the grace of God. So, I've got to stop. Here are these chapters, four chapters of Jonah, I'm wondering where you fit. Maybe in chapter one, fast asleep or being awakened to sin. Maybe you're in chapter two, needing to be awakened to God's grace, beginning to be awakened to God's grace. Maybe you're in chapter three, you know, awakened to God's grace for you, but prejudiced about that world out there, still got the attitudes of your, your age and your generation, still got their words on your lips and their thoughts in your mind. Maybe you're in chapter 4 and God is striving and dealing with you to yield and to understand uh, that you really are helpless and hopeless and that his love for you is also his love for the world. Maybe he's striving with you in Jonah chapter 4 or maybe you're in Jonah chapter 5. And you notice there isn't a chapter 5. That's because you and I are Jonah chapter 5. How does a story end? Because uh, you've got to write that with what you do with this, whether, whether it actually has an impact, whether it actually melts you, whether it actually turns you, or whether you have the terrifying ability to shrug it all off, have a cup of tea, 
and go back to your everyday self. How terrifying would that be? Don't do that. You know, when we come to church, what's happening is that we're not just coming to church. We're not just being taught the Bible. God himself is drawing near. It's a tremendous moment, a tremendous opportunity to do some business with him and to go home different, to go home changed.